Well, hello. And welcome back to another episode of Bloodthirsty Times. He's your boy, Will. I'm Octavio. And I'm Emily. And on this week's episode, we are covering a cold case along the Connecticut River Valley that still remains unsolved to this day. So grab a paddle because shit's coming downstream. And join <laughs> us in these bloodthirsty times. Serial killers do on a small scale what governments do on a large one. They are a product of the times, and these are bloodthirsty times. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, sorry we missed last week, but not really sorry because it was Mother's Day. And sorry, not sorry. Yeah, sorry, not sorry. Not well, sorry. You're welcome, mothers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed your time with them, though, and uh, hope you spoiled them and took them out to lunch or breakfast at least and gave them stuff. At least like a couple McRiddles or something, you know? <laughs> at, at the very least, not lay in a ditch after drinking a bunch of vodka or mimosas <laughs> bottomless huh? bottomless that's usually what happens at brunch yeah bottomless mimosas yeah because then you go bottomless <laughs> <laughs> and on that note i just want to remind you guys i just want to remind you guys that for three dollars you can see will's face when he said bottomless yes and you can like, see oh. me bottomless my only fans <laughs> Yeah, that costs a lot more. Though. Yeah, it does. A lot, lot more than $3 a month. Um, uh, six. I just doubled the price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, again, if you want to see our faces while uh, we talk about true crime, then head on over to the subscription page on anchor.fm. And $3 a month is all it takes to see us talk with our faces. But yeah, uh, a lot of it's me that, looking to my left because well, I, have two I think screens. all of us for us like I have to look to the right to see you, yeah. and then I look straight to see you. It's like the Brady Bunch, beginning of the Brady Bunch. <laughs> I was looking around. I just Everyone, I yeah. like dart my eyes back and forth, so I just look crazy more so than usual. Well, yeah, I have, I have a big ass like screen, so like if I'm looking directly at this screen, it's over here. That's us, right? And then here, yeah, you guys are over here. Yeah, but it changes if I'm not. If it's not my episode, then I have you guys here and the script over here. So, yeah, I don't know if I need to morph it into one screen, but then it becomes a little difficult. To... I think I think I have the best bet. You know those sideways screens, like it's a, like a tablet that goes next to your main screen. Oh, I'm talking yeah, about yeah, you yeah. Just, I think you could just turn your screens. Well, I only have one screen. Anyways, but anyways, I just want to remind you guys that that's yeah, possible but... to do, and that's uh, that's all oh, I yeah, have. Yeah. Only I'll just have you know that I have the smallest screen, and I have all of it in one screen, and I can see you guys and my script. Very fun. Actually, before I, I stop talking about this, thank you to the one person who actually subscribed and watched the videos. They watched them like twice. Oh, uh, really? And yeah, we got one person who actually. And Emily's blood sugar is low. You all right? My bad. I'm trying. No, I'm just, are you hey, okay? If you, if you yeah. pay $3, you can watch Emily pass out. <laughs> Why? <laughs> and hypoglycemia. Eat your milk duds. Yeah, and suck out a milk dud. Eat your milk duds, and thank you to the dude who, or person, I don't know if it's female or male, doesn't tell us, but thank you, whoever it is, for uh, subscribing. Really appreciate it. It feels awesome to actually have someone do it. Yeah, that's no, um, really cool. Mm -hmm. Well, that's all I got. If you guys not got anything else, let's jump right in if you don't mind. I do not mind. We can okay. jump so, right in. 
Uh, do you mind telling um, fucking what's his name again? It's Richard. been so long, Richard. Yeah, sorry, I forgot your name, Richard. It's been so long, Richard. Do you mind uh, fucking off? Thanks, man. Just cuts off. Man, he's, he's like, yeah, he just stops. Yeah. He just stops, man. Yeah, he doesn't even like fade out. He just like, okay, fuck it, I'm gone. I, I think he quit. He's done with no, this. You're so rude. No, he's he's he can't quit. You guys are so rude. <laughs> I know, but he's addicted to this. Yeah. <laughs> it, to him, it hurts so good. And also crack, because we get <laughs> crack. It's payment. <laughs> but not really. You're white. It's cocaine. Mm, not in Corona. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So, you guys ready? Yeah. yeah. Tell us about okay. uh, whatever today is. Okay. Well, today we're going up to Connecticut, well, the Connecticut area, not specifically Connecticut, up there in the Northeast, uh, for a <laughs> gruesome serial killer story that still remains unsolved to this day. And this was in eighty late eighties. So you think? Uh, do you think this eventually this will be like uh, the Grim Sleeper where they'll figure it out? Um, yes, I would hope so. Yeah. Um, and we'll we'll kind of talk about it at the end when we um, cover the possible suspects and um, some evidence and and key points to the story that hopefully gives us uh, some hope that this person will be caught or yeah we can only hope so they can identify who the killer is or was if they're no longer here. Now seven women were stabbed to death. And there may be even more, but those other ones haven't been officially linked to the unknown serial killer, just the, the Connecticut um, River Valley serial killer. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can't like link them together, but they s- still follow under that like suspicious circumstances that they're like, oh, it might be linked, but there's nothing like physically linking them to the- these other seven murders. I wonder um, how many names this guy has because I-, I looked it up. Uh, it was Connecticut River, no valley killer. Yeah, there's Connecticut yeah. River killer, can Connecticut River Valley because it fall it. Yes, it follows the Connecticut River, but they more eloquently call it the Connecticut River Valley. Okay, so it's the same person though. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now the Connecticut River Valley uh, cuts through Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Vermont. And our seven victims were all discovered within a 50-mile radius around this Connecticut River Valley near Route 91. That's a wide area. 50-mile radius is is quite Mm -hmm. a large area. It is. Hmm. But that was was the territory that he covered, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, our first victim... Kathy Milliken was born May 25th, 1951. She lived in Sunapee, New Hampshire, and worked in North Wilmont at Addison Publishing. She graduated college in 1972 and worked at the phone company when she was in school. She had married a man named Charles Milliken. Now, on October 24th, 1978, she left her job for the day and was actually um, photographing birds at a local nature preserve for uh, this chapter of the Audubon Society. So her gig was she liked to go out and, and, and take pictures of birds. Kathy was reported missing after not arriving for work the next day. Her body was found soon after 
and it wasn't far from where she was last actually seen. Her body had at least 29 stab wounds in the neck and abdomen. Now, there were reports that surfaced of a gray car that was in the area that afternoon that she went missing, but that information was relatively vague. Robbery did not appear to be a motive as her car and her belongings were undisturbed. That makes it kind of worse, in my opinion. Like, you have valuable things that someone could have taken easily after viciously murdering you, and they don't. So that just leaves like, man, this person just killed just to kill. Like, there yes. is no no reasoning behind it. And that, a lot of times, that's way scarier. That's just like, damn, this dude's just out here murdering people. And maybe it kind yeah. of, like, cuts down on the reasoning behind it, too. It kind of, like, doesn't even give them an opportunity to venture into the robbery, homicide type thing. That's not what they were after, clearly. Oh, they're, again, they're just... Killing is the sport that they enjoy. I say sport loosely, but... You get my my meaning. I catch your drift. Yeah. Now we move on to victim number two. Mary Elizabeth Critchley, known as Betsy, was born December 25th, 1943, and was the oldest child of James Joseph Critchley and Elizabeth McLaughlin Critchley. And she had two younger sisters. Betsy was a 37-year-old student at the University of Vermont at the time of her suspected murder, and was in Massachusetts that day for a dental appointment. She was last seen on the evening of July 5th, 1981, when she was dropped off near exit 13 on the Mass Turnpike with the intention of hitchhiking home to Waterbury. And that's where she shared an apartment with a friend, though she never made it home that night. Dang. Betsy's body would be found 15 days later in a wooded area off Unity Stage Road in Unity, North Hampshire. New Hampshire. New Hampshire. <laughs> North Hampshire. It's a new state. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, you guys don't know about it yet, but yeah. <laughs> it's so new. Yeah, so new. Now, due to some significant decomposition, her cause of death could not be determined, but they suspected murder. Her body was fully clothed, but her backpack and sandals were never located. Dang. Um, do, you, so now we're, do, you know, do you know why they would have said that she was murdered? Is that uh, known? No, they just suspected foul play. Mm-hmm. Um, I think based on uh, how she was found, where she was found. Um, just like her. But again, they couldn't determine. They're like, hey, this doesn't look like a natural place for someone to die. They're not in a natural position. So they suspect yeah, yeah, that foul makes sense. play. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense to me. But they couldn't determine that she was stabbed to death or anything like that. So it's this one's kind of weird because they're lumping it into the uh, Connecticut River Valley. Yeah, from what I because, understand, because of the because of the location. Oh, uh, okay. Just just look because what I understand of what I did look up is that he has a very specific way of killing, very specific, and that's how they know it's him. Um, right, and so this one is just kind of like because of the area. It's just like yeah, it's probably the same person. Yeah, they, they didn't have any person, leads. Right? Yes. Yes. So, like, they haven't really come up with even his moniker or anything like that yet. Like, they don't know who's doing this. They don't even know they have a serial killer until the very end. They're just finding bodies at this point. All right. So, but the second so... one, they found, they found a, a body with no um, 
no indicators on how the body got there, how they were killed. It just is like a cold case. And at the very end, when all these other um, murders are combined, they're like, hey, these probably are all linked together so by I one person. At the moment of telling the story right now, uh, in, where are we, in 1981, second murder, mm -hmm. uh, they don't suspect, uh, there's no connection at the time no. at all. Okay, no. so all of these are known because of, um, like, 2020, like, because of hindsight is 2020 type of thing. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about the TV show. No, no, I mean, like, hindsight is when they look back and like, oh, damn, there's a lot of connections there. This mm -hmm. is probably a serial killer. Yeah, it took a little bit because okay. it, it okay. goes into the the 90s when they start actually like putting uh, it together. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Okay, so right now in the story you're telling right now, it's just two random murders. Yep. Yeah, we're okay. just going over finding the victims and how they were found. Got it. Now on to the third. Bernice Cordemanche was born on December 24th, 1966 to Robert Byron Cordemanche, Jr., Quartermanch. Did you say Junior? Senior. <laughs> I was combining. I'm trying to say Quartermanch and Senior, and my tongue doesn't like to work that way. Did you say, yeah, sure, yes, sir? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> she was named after her grandmother on her father's side. At the time of her disappearance, she was just 17 years old and was a oh. nurse's aide at the Sullivan County Nursing Home in Beauregard Village. Oh, no. Sources... <laughs> This is going to be a long episode. It's, it's going to be a long episode. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Sources. Right. Sources. So let's, let's do our... Hold on. Just pause real quick. Let's do our um, our vocal exercises, right? The human torch has oddly shaped feet. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. Huh? The human what? torch has, has oddly, oddly shaped. shaped feet. The human torch has oddly shaped feet. Mm -hmm. yeah. Got to get, get the mouth movements down. Mouth movements down. Uh-uh. Now, I'll now brown cow. All right. Sources. Sources. Mm -hmm. Sources indicate that she was last seen by her boyfriend's mother at approximately 3.30 p.m. on May 30th, 1984, in which she was hitchhiking in West Claremont after leaving work. Now, she was believed to be hitchhiking to her boyfriend's house and was reported missing the day after she was last seen. Two years later... On April 19th, 1986, her remains were discovered by fishermen just off Cathole Hill Road in Newport. That's when autopsy reports found that she had been stabbed to death with knife wounds to the neck and some type of traumatic injury to her head. Two hmm. years. Two Why years. Why did her mother-in-law witness her hitchhiking to her mother-in-law's house? Or mother's boy boyfriend's mother, whatever. She was last seen by the boyfriend's mother. Because she was hitchhiking. gonna hitchhike up to the boyfriend's house. The boyfriend doesn't live with the mom. Okay. No. Yeah, but you, you see. Yeah. Why, why, why couldn't she just drive him? Yeah. Because right. everyone here is hitchhiking. I yeah. guess it's a. I guess it's a thing in the nineteen late nineteen oh, eighties. We we talked about uh, what's it called the, um, the guy the. Fuck the. The guy. The guy. We talked about the guy. Oh, the that guy. guy. You, you know the guy we talked about. Come on, the guy. Oh, let me look it up real quick. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Come on. I'll tell you, know you a second. No, I think I think hitchhiking. Mad Chopper, the Mad, mad chopper. chopper. Yeah, yeah. Hitchhiking was very, uh, like socially accepted. Like it wasn't yeah. dangerous. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hitchhiking though, or was it yes. just called like hitching a ride? 
like thumbs I mean, up. Uh, Let's go. Yeah, hitch. Yeah, hitch. That's, that's always been called hitchhiking. Yeah. Okay. I just hitching think, like, a ride is people. hitching a ride is with your friends. Hey, yo, can I hitch a ride? <laughs> I saw your face. <laughs> yeah. My face. <laughs> yeah. When I said, I just think of homeless people. <laughs> Not like in a negative way. Like I just wouldn't say like. Oh, I'm gonna like hitch a ride or hitchhike to work or something. Like, I'm gonna get a ride. Yeah, you know, it's just if, me. You do, if you do not drive, they didn't have thumb Uber out. back then. So it's like, thumb, well, thumb I'll out. just I'll thumb out, show some leg. Hopefully, someone picks me up and I get to get there for free. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Unless a little. You say free, but really, there's always that risk, right? There's well, always that risk. Ask, gas, or grass. No one rides for free. So, no one rides for free. Give me one of the three. That's so <laughs> aggressive, you guys. Well, yeah, don't yeah, hitchhike. Yeah, well, yeah, well, well I mean, don't hitchhike. You you put your thumb out. I don't know what you want. You want to give up the rules of the gas, road. Gas or grass, you don't ride for free, so don't hitchhike. I'll, I'll go gas. Okay, it's fair enough. Hmm. Now on to the fourth. Okay, Ellen Ruth. Freed, born on August 9th, 1957. And Ellen was 27 years old and also worked in a hospital. She was a nurse supervisor at Valley Regional Hospital. On July 22nd, 1984, Ellen was last seen late at night talking to her sister on a payphone outside Leo's Market in Claremont. And this is kind of where things get weird for for her story you know this is the one that i that they focused on the thing that i saw this was the main part of the story of the article that i read there's two there's this one and then uh um barbara at the end uh they're just weird like circumstances yeah, surrounding their murder they're the most folk like the, they focus the most on these two uh because i think there's more to it you know there's more like clues oh, I think. yeah there's more like yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, they were talking to someone or there were witnesses. So yeah. it's not just finding a body and they're like, I don't know how this body got here. I saw her yesterday, right? So All right. for Ellen, um, she was talking to her sister on a payphone after work and mentioned that a car kept driving by while she was on the phone. And she was on the phone for her with her sister for probably close to an hour and mm. told her, all right, hold on. This car's kind of skeeving me out. Let me go make sure my car starts. And that's where she went. What? She's like, hold on. I'm going to go start my car. Cool. Come back. Hey, I'll talk to you later. And then she wasn't seen again. Well, that, from again. Why is she um, on a fucking pavement for an hour at midnight? This is 1984. Yeah, Did that was kind of like... Yeah, that's what they're saying. Like, why... After work, why would she drive at midnight to talk on a payphone... If she knows she's going to be like a chatty Cathy and talk for an hour, why wouldn't you just do it from your house, the safety of your yeah. home? So it was work. a weird, yeah, it was a weird circumstance. Maybe it was just like a, supposed to be like a quick, like check-in before she went home. Like, Hey, I'm leaving work. And then it ended up being, let me tell you my whole life story. You know, let me yeah. tell you how my day went. Let yeah, me tell you how, I, how my day went. You know, you know what? I, I know people time. like that. I know I people time. like that. Yeah. No, no, mm-mm. There's no way that you're going to sit on a fucking payphone at midnight for an hour. Just not happening. 
Well, she did. So. It sounds like she got on the phone at about 11. She probably got off at like 1030, got mm-hmm. on the phone at about 11 and talked till after midnight. And then that's when she's like, I'm going to go turn on my car because there's a creepy car out there. Yeah, and I want to make it. sure I'm not stranded. Mm-hmm. Now, Ellen was reported missing after she failed to show up for work the next day. And her car was found abandoned on Jarvis Road, which was a few miles away from the store where she used the payphone. Ellen's remains were found in a wooded area next to the Sugar River in Newport, New Hampshire, over a year later, on September 19th, 1985. Dang. Yeah. And so you're seeing some of these missing persons, and then their bodies are showing up years later, and that's kind of why they're starting to group them together, Mm because it's a cold case it's gone for years and they're like oh this kind of mimics this and so they're, they're that's why they're kind of lumping them together yeah now the remains were reportedly found only about a mile from where bernice quartermanch's body was found and about seven miles from the market where she made that phone call on the payphone though the autopsy did not reveal a cause of death it it was because of the skeletal remains yeah you know after a year you decompose yeah 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 but police indicate that the circumstances of her disappearance and the findings at the scene were consistent with ellen having being sexually assaulted before her death and they consider this case a homicide how they figured out she was sexually assaulted i don't know if her clothes were like away from her body they didn't go into like specifics on why they went with sexual assault mm-hmm. the, there had indicate. to be so th- there was something that they're like hey this yeah. looks like a sexual assault like maybe her maybe like torn her clothes panties. were yeah, yeah her, her clothes were yeah. you know 30 feet away or something like i don't who knows but like look like it had been ripped ripped off her body or something like that you know some some yeah some kind of obvious physical uh reason that they would say that they suspect sexual assault. I, I, yeah. I would like to think police wouldn't just be like, yeah, she was probably sexually assaulted. Like, yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. it's, a, it's yeah, not it nonchalant. Yeah. They yeah, probably I, raped her, huh? Look at her. Like, I think there's a little more yeah. substantial evidence. Well, than... I, w- I would hope there would be more. Jesus they were just Christ. like, yeah, we'll yeah this is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. Hey, you know that's what happened? You know what happened? She was raped. End the story. Close the book. Close that book. Go have a beer. Yeah. Close the book. She was raped, murdered. Get out of here. Donuts. Let's go. Donuts. <laughs> big old donuts. And give me some of the donut, donut holes too. Big old ones I can put in the middle and make a full donut. <laughs> <laughs> give me them holes. Yeah. Give me the donut holes to put in the donut. <laughs> now this one's a short one. Eva Morse. She was 27. Discovered in West Unity, New Hampshire, on April 25th, 1986. But she was last seen on July 10th, 1985. So we're getting close to another year from reported disappearance to uh, actually found her remains. When she was fine, yeah. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Hitchhiking. Last seen hitchhiking. Disappeared uh, near Route 12 is when they last saw her hitchhiking, Route 12 in Mm -hmm. North uh, Charleston. And when they found her remains, the medical examiner determined that Morse had been stabbed to death. So she had enough on her after a year to actually show that. I mean, yeah, I guess different, it, different temperatures, different areas of a lot of factors in that, right? There's a lot of factors in how you decompose and how quickly. Yeah. And also, 
even with skeletal remains, sometimes if someone stabs you hard and deep enough and they hit bone, you can see like nicks in the bone. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they yeah, can yeah. they can oh. determine like, oh, hey, like this was a, like this was a a knife or a penetrating object that struck the bone based on what they're looking at. So again, there wasn't much on why they determined she had been stabbed to death. Whether it was she had more meat on the bone or they found um, markings on the bone that indicated she was stabbed, but. And we're on to number six. Linda Moore, born on April 20th, 1989. Doesn't sound right. Nope. No. Not right. I got bad disappeared? information. Murdered? Yeah, probably. Which is that when she disappeared? We'll keep that date. Get rid of that. No, because it's 86. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So okay, I'm gonna go wrong, with completely. Wait, so 69. it was before this one chick. It was before Eagle yeah, 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 yeah. found them. What, where I got my sources? Okay, they're wrong. Okay, <laughs> should have fact checked. I didn't. <laughs> she was born, and she was a stay-at-home wife of a contractor, Stephen, and also a mother of two children, a boy and a girl. <laughs> Shut up. What? <laughs> I just like, well, she was born. Okay. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> She was born. She was born at a date and time. You tell me. Undisclosed. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, besides okay. taking care of the children, because she was the stay-at-home mother slash wife, mm -hmm. uh, she was the president of the Rockingham Hospital Auxiliary, where she worked on things like implementing child seatbelt requirements. You know, she was a major proponent for uh, safety measures within uh, that region. On April 15th, 1986, Linda was seen outside in a lawn chair at her Tids Corner home in Saxon, Vermont, around 11.40 a.m., and then again around 2. Now, in between, she was having multiple phone calls with her husband, and then he tried to call her back again around 3 p.m. and couldn't get a hold of her. Now, mm -hmm. since he's a contractor, he happened to be working nearby the house, so he decided to swing by and check in. Now, as Stephen entered the house, he found his wife, Linda, lying in a pool of blood. She oh, had shit. been stabbed between 25 to 40 times. Again, that's depending on the source you're looking at. Not defined. Mm. She was stabbed a lot. That, even <laughs> at the low end, 25, that's, that's, that's a, a lot. lot of stab wounds. Yeah. yeah. And to walk in on that, dude, your contractor down the street. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, why is she answering the phone? Like, is she outside or whatever? I'm going to swing by. I'm going to surprise her. How was he calling her? The From phone? the payphone. A payphone in the middle of the neighborhood. Okay. No, she was at home. And... No, he. He. How was oh, he yeah, calling yeah. her? Yeah. Payphone. He just, yeah, payphone. Okay. Yeah, he's a contractor. He's like, oh, there's a phone right here. Yeah. He's doing what contractors do. Don't work, you know? <laughs> just talk on the phone. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Usually their wives text them nonstop. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. What? What? Now, there were signs of a fierce struggle because Linda had some severe defensive wounds. That was a bad time to laugh. Yeah. Do, do we got to recuse you from this conversation? I, yeah, she is. You, get yourself together, woman. Hold it together. I'm talking about murder here. Yeah, this sorry, is okay. not the appropriate time to laugh. Sorry. No, it's not the la I mean... It's not the murder? <laughs> yeah, that. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Is your blood sugar low? 
Okay. Let me get a milk dud. Quietly. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Now, the killer was thought to have accessed the, the home through the back door, um, and there were no signs of robbery. There was nothing missing. She was just stabbed to death. And they didn't find the murder weapon. He just walked Not in, at home. saw his wife, yeah, lying on the ground, stabbed between 25 and 40 times. Nothing was gone. So it's why. So he talked to her at 2 p.m. And he, let's say, tried calling her at 3 p.m. So let's say 3.30, he's back at home, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she, I mean, this had to have been within the last hour, right? Yeah, they suspect that the time of death was between 2 and 3. Yeah. The last, yeah, if the last uh, call was two and he tried calling at three and he didn't get any response. So in between that, yeah, so you got to figure, yeah, you got to figure he got the call or missed the call, you know, got in his contractor truck or whatever, then made his contractor drive home. You know, he contracted his way inside the house and then found her. Mm hmm. Yeah. I feel like you're putting a lot of emphasis on contractor. Contractor. He's a contractor. I don't get it. He just contracts. <laughs> he contracts. That's a whole yeah. different word. Yeah. It's his job. Right. So Linda was 36 at the time of her death. Witnesses, however, did report a man between 20 to 30 years old in the driveway of the home around the time of her death. Ooh. He reportedly has dark hair and glasses. What? And carrying a blue backpack, dark hair and glasses, and I just started looking at you. Oh yeah. So you, Octavio. Was I born yet? No, you were not. 1986. No, I still had three years. I was. No, two years. Two years. I'm bad at math. Close. Yeah, I'm bad at math. Yeah, we're close. Mm -hmm. So dark hair, glasses, blue backpack, never located. Now this case is. Still so you tell me this all these dude, Yeah, you're telling me this dude is just standing outside and I mean I guess I wouldn't think anything if I saw someone dude standing in the driveway of my neighbors, but then he was just gone. Yeah, no, okay. That makes sense actually. That's not that's not too Yeah, that makes sense. Wait, they don't know that the the person was murdered inside, correct? At this point. Correct. Yeah, no, no. So the neighbors wouldn't know anything. The husband no, would have no, this was after the. This was like, hey, did you guys see anything suspicious around this time? They're like, yeah, there's a dude standing in the driveway. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Like, I it's probably something if I that would look at the window. I would see there's a guy standing in our neighbor's yard, but I wouldn't think anything of it at the time until later the cops like, hey, did you see anything? I'm like, hey, yeah, there there was a guy. I don't know what happened to him. No, I have no idea where he went. But yeah, there was a guy standing out there. He, yeah. He looked like uh, he looked like a man. Looked like a man. Dark hair and glasses. Oh, thanks. That helps. Looks like you. Again, this case is unsolved. It goes with all of them. Yeah. And while this was somewhat different of an MO for what they would consider the MO for the Connecticut River Valley killer, because she was found at home, wasn't a hitchhiker, mm-hmm. uh, wasn't attacked on the road. Um, the only thing that they were using to link them was the the method of killing the stabbings that was his mo or her mo was stabbing them to death way to be inclusive yeah yeah 
we strive to be progressive here at Bloodthirsty no. Times Inc. Yeah, women can kill. Yeah, yes, we can. Women can oh, do not stuff as efficient, yeah. not as efficiently, they, but yeah, they, they can, can vote. They can't. They can't decide what to do with their own body, but they can do. We stuff. are not going to fucking get on this, okay? Mm-hmm. It's going to they lead can, down a road can, you don't want to go. They can drive ish. Yeah. <laughs> They're allowed yeah. to drive. Yeah, yeah. allowed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a reason there's only like two women in NASCAR. Don't send us any emails. I'm sorry. I take that back. <laughs> no, please send us emails. <laughs> yeah, please send us emails. Why are there only like two chicks in NASCAR? Well, there was one. Danica Pat. Maybe because now, it's so. hot as shit in those cars and no one wants to sit there and drive in a circle for that long. Who has sense? Or they're just not as good of a driver. You just you decide. push the gas and go. Yeah, yeah. Send us an email. You decide. Yeah, you decide. Why don't women want to drive a NASCAR? Or are they not allowed to drive? Anyways. Yeah. In any case, we're on to the last, the seventh victim. Barbara Agnew was a 36-year-old nurse who lived in Vermont. Now, she had been skiing with friends and was returning home when she went missing on January 10th, 1987, during a heavy snowstorm. Her car was found in a rest stop north of White River Junction in Vermont, which was about 10 miles from her home. There was blood and signs of a struggle in her car, which led to even more concern. The concern being, if she was so close to home, why did she pull into a rest stop? That's the same conversation we had is, you know, why was a phone call made from a payphone instead of at your house? They're saying, why didn't she just continue driving home? And instead pull over at a restaurant, was it, it was too snowstormy? Couldn't see? Like, yeah, that's probably. a question that, that's a question that hasn't been answered. Is like, why did she pull into this rest stop? It, I mean, I guess we'll talk about this as we go on, right? During our thing at the yeah. end where we, yeah. But I, I guess since we're talking about it now, um, in my head, it kind of immediately went to there was a hitchhiker in her car, right? Yeah. And they, yeah. he asked her or they asked her to pull up right here, just right here at this rest stop, drop me off, whatever. And that was it. I mean, that's what my head goes to. Also, aren't they all medical? at this point or is the first one not like they all um, seem to be i believe the majority of them were <clears throat> war were sound like i'm from freaking massachusetts they were war uh like nurses or they worked in healthcare. yeah hmm. okay. there's a trend we could follow that, yeah but so the rest stop the rest stop thing i can kind of make sense of there was someone else in the car right it wasn't there was maybe some altercation that got her to the rest stop or maybe like he asked her to pull over or they asked her to pull over. But the whole having a one hour conversation, maybe the girl felt safer on the phone. Like if I'm on the phone, whoever's driving around is less likely to attack me. And that's why she was on the phone for an hour. Yeah. Why didn't she just get in her car and drive away? I don't know. We'll never know. These are never know the site to talk on the phone, but didn't these are the questions. And I don't, yeah, the hitchhiker thing he does kind of makes sense because it seems to be a very big trend at this time. People are just giving rides, but I can't imagine like a young female, well, young, 36, she's young, but whatever, um, giving someone just a random ass ride in a snowstorm. Well, we'll never know. Yeah. Kind of. Now, two months later, 
When the snow began to melt, Barbara's body was found under an apple tree near Advent Hill Road in Heartland. Funny enough, it's not really funny, but we were just talking about it. A paraplegic ex-drug dealer named Gary Westover confessed that he and three friends had abducted and killed Barbara, and he confessed this on his deathbed. So many, now, many years later? Yes. Hmm. And we'll go into that. I, I go a little bit more into it because he's considered a, a suspect in the all of them? serial killings. Yeah. Yeah. One of them. He died shortly after the confession, and it's never been proven. Barbara's case is largely tied to the Connecticut River Valley serial killer, um, but not for the motive. And there was no gain that would come from Westover's confession. He just confessed. Yeah. Family just reported that he was scared he was going to go to hell on his deathbed for his involvement in the murder. So he just wanted to confess, get it off his chest so he could go to heaven not hell i'm not sure that that matters i'm not i don't think that's how it works i'm not a professional or really any kind of uh anything i don't think that's how it works but that's just i keep keep a couple pennies in my pocket in case i have to pay for the uh the the fairy man yeah Mm -hmm. you never know um yeah you never know but um it makes me want to say shit on my deathbed just whatever just random stuff it just makes me want to say stuff i don't know about you but i when i'm on my deathbed i just want to be like yeah you remember that shit that someone took in the top part of the toilet that was your old pups yeah yeah i remember that amber heard johnny depp thing now i snuck in there and took the shit on johnny depp's (laughs) that was actually it was not amber turd it was actually me me i uh i left a surprise for johnny and he got it he saw it but unfortunately he blamed amber amber turd uh, should have known it was me and really the rest is history but I gotta go now (laughs) he took a shit on the bed (laughs) (laughs) so now with no witnesses and little physical evidence to go off investigators were at a standstill And as a last resort, the New Hampshire State Police brought in a criminal psychologist, John Philpin. And this is kind of like the, um, what is that show? Criminal Minds? Mindhunters. Mindhunters. Yeah, I was about to say, if you hadn't said I was going to say this is Mm mid-1980s. Yeah, uh, the FBI Quantico was definitely a thing at the time. And they they were going ham on profiling. That's why they brought him in. They, they had all these murders with no witnesses, not a lot of evidence to go off of, except that they were stabbed to death um, and that they were probably hitchhiking. They were found near roads in a certain area. So they're like, hey, this, is, this could be a serial killer. Let's get in John Philpin to you know, build a case, try and profile this killer. Now, Philpin said that his approach is to gather as much of the same information that the police use in the very beginning. You know, police reports of the crime scene, autopsy reports, uh, autopsy photographs, basically any bit of information that would be available typically to the investigators. That is what he wanted, and that's where he would begin. Yeah. Anything inside what they wrote down, what people said they saw, any of that kind of shit, right? Just like mm-hmm. like we said, the, the main things with the car around and then with um the other one you said with the guy standing in the driveway the driveway yeah Mm -hmm. yeah he's getting all this information and then he's 
trying to profile a killer here. Detective Sergeant Clay Young of the New Hampshire State Police notes that from a law enforcement standpoint, profiling is something that can help with an investigation, but it is not uh, scientific. It's not an absolute. It is not going to tell you this is the individual, but it does give you the type of individual that you can be looking for, right? Mm -hmm. Gives you a broad range. Hey, based on this, 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 and this, you should be looking for someone like this, not that's the guy. Right. And like, uh, actually, if you go back to our very first episode, we talk about profiling a lot and how they got the profile like spot on with Richard Chase, like spot on. Oh, yeah. But then there's other times we talk about, you know, I think it was, uh, who else were they looking for that we saw? But anyways, they were wrong. They got like one thing right about the killer and pretty much nothing else. So you could be super accurate or not like you could be like, ah, ballpark, you know? Yeah, you could be way, way off. Like, yeah. He's a bald guy. Like, not sure <laughs> this guy uh, had a lot of hair. It's close, right? He had so much hair, he had other people's hair. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so weird. But he'd take the hair off, he's bald, right? So, meh, tomato, tomato. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it gives you uh, an area to look in. A, a, it, it focuses the beam a little bit yeah, on where you should be looking. donuts it can tell you whether or not you are on the right path right avenue or the right approach just hey we're going to tighten the beam a little bit this is this should help you out in the beginning of philpin's investigation he made several trips out to the locations where bernice and ellen were killed now, the first few times he went, it was simply to have something of a, a, a feel, quote-unquote, feel for the place, because he had several questions he wanted to answer. Now, what could he hear? Like, what could he smell? What was the place like? What would it have felt like to be there? How could this crime, this very bizarre dance between two people, how could it have been choreographed in this space? How could it have happened I don't know what you're going for, but it worked. Nailed weird. it. Going for weird. Going for weird. Spectacles. <laughs> Pocket protector. <laughs> now, Philpin said that when he gets to the point where he is beginning to develop some feel mm-hmm. for what is going on uh, in the mind of a killer, he will go back to the scenes using what he has learned and simply goes through what might have happened just as though he was the killer himself. Now, once he is in that mindset, he tries to answer some more similar questions. I don't think I can do the voice again. That was so like one time. Uh, Okay, hold on. on. (laughs) (laughs) What is the killer hearing then? Does he hear the noise of the river going by? Or is that blocked out? Is he so focused on the activity of killing that he does not hear it? What does it tell Philpin about the killer's ability to perceive in terms of sound, feeling, and sight? He talks in the third face. Person Look too. at her face. Look at yeah. Emily's face. She's like, I gotta sleep next to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly what I thought. That was intense, and I was... Well, you got to get in the mind of a serial killer. 
Weird. Philpin believes that the killer does a lot of driving. Now, he believes that the killer selects sites that are low risk uh, for him rather than stalking a particular victim because he doesn't believe that any of them were pre-selected. Uh, instead, he selects sites and goes from site to site. Philpin says that part of what goes on with this killer is that he has a very strong need to take these women away alive and transport them to the site that he has pre-selected. During this time, he owns them. They are his to do with whatever he wishes. And part of that, Philpin thinks, is a process of scaring the daylights out of them. <laughs> nice. Oh my God. Yeah, well... Well, that's Philpin for you. Me. Yeah, that's Philpin. Yeah, that's Philpin for you. He's weird. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I didn't Philpin, come up yeah, with that voice uh, at all. Yeah, he's I, a I didn't come up with that voice off the top of my head at all. That was just Philpin. No, that was channeling my inner Philpin. You know? yeah, he was in there. God. August 6th, 1988. About round midnight, 22-year-old Jane Borowski was on her way home from the Cheshire County Fair when she stopped to get a soft drink from a vending machine outside of Gomarlos Supermarket along Route 10 in West Swansea, New Hampshire. Gomarlos. <laughs> sudden, uh, sudden attack of accent. So Gomarlo. <laughs> You're going to say Gomarlos. Yes. Okay. Outside of Gomarlos Supermarket. <laughs> no, you're right. Sorry, you're right. It's it was a hot... Gumal. Uh, hot, muggy evening. She was seven months pregnant. There was a serial killer on the loose. This was the perfect setting for him to find a victim. As Jane purchased her drink, a car pulled up to the right of hers. And shortly after returning to her car, the man in the other car got out and walked up to her. He walked up to the driver's side window and asked if the payphone was working. She said, I don't know. He then opened up her car door and tried to pull her out of her car. When she tried fighting him off, he pulled out a knife and he forced her out of her car while she pleaded with him not to hurt her since she was pregnant. Jane asked, What do you want? He said, You hurt my girlfriend real bad. However, she told him that she did not hurt anyone. He said, This is a Massachusetts car, isn't it? And she responded, no, it's a New Hampshire one. And at some point during this discussion, she tried to break away, and the man's apparent plans to abduct her went awry. Awry. She ran awry. 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 <laughs> they all went awry, man. Uh, definitely awry. Uh, they went awry. Uh, they went bad. Uh, didn't go as planned. And so she ran down the parking lot, but he was able to catch up and tackle her to the ground. He then stabbed her several times in the neck and chest. After stabbing Jane, the man returned to his car, and by that point she had rolled onto her belly and started to get up on her hands and knees. He drove past her and looked down at her. He then drove away from the parking lot, leaving her for dead. As she tried to get up, she felt the blood rushing out of her, and she thought she was going to die, and she knew she had to get to her friend's house to get help. Dang. That's, that's, well, that reminds me of, um, uh, 
Lonnie's victim that survived. Um, oh yeah, 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 I saw. I was watching. Yeah, um, yeah. She somehow managed to get all the way three blocks to her friend's house. This reminds me exactly of that. Yeah, this it's case crazy. is really giving me Grim Sleeper, like a lot of yeah. flashbacks from that story. A lot of similarities. Yeah, it's it's uh, like, you know, fight or flight kicks in. Yeah. Definitely. You can just lay there I mean, and, I... and die, or you can use your survival instincts and get the hell out of there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I have that kind of fight in me. I, I would like to think I do. I don't, these women are way above in any kind of bravery that I think I have, man, to act, to keep going and like survive like this. That's takes a lot of cojones. Mm-hmm. I think you could, if you were, you know, you yeah, that's what I'm saying. I would think I would, I think I would, I, I would like to think that I would, but you know what, when it comes down to it, I'm a real big baby. Yeah. I would just lie down and be like, ah, this is it. Die. Oh, the blood is so warm. It, it's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to stifle that millennial feeling of like fucking finally. Yeah. At least I'll be on a podcast one day. Uh, I don't have to see Trump in office again. Yes. Oh, that's not going to happen anyway. Although Jane had been stabbed or slashed a total of 18 times, she somehow managed to crawl back to her car and drive to that friend's house, which was about two miles away. Damn. When she left the parking lot, she felt like she was driving pretty damn fast. But she didn't know how fast she was going. She was in shock. But apparently she was going pretty fucking fast because before she knew it, she was right behind the man that had attacked her. Hmm. And she was afraid that he was going to stop or turn around and follow her. Jane finally reached her friend's house and her attacker drove on. But he turned back. Oh, shit. And then he stopped momentarily in front of the house, then disappeared into the night. Oh, God damn it. So That's terrifying. Jesus. Holy mm-hmm. shit. Oh, man. Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't mean, like, this is probably a bad time to make jokes, but this kind of just reminds me of um, Wolf of Wall Street, where he's in the uh, the Lamborghini <laughs> after taking a bunch of pills. Oh, yeah. And he thinks he's doing a great job, but then you flash back and he's crashing into everything. <laughs> yeah. It's the, he's, like, crawling out of the car. Yeah, he's crawling out of the car. And drive, and you're like... I'm doing so good. I think I'm going really. F- I don't think I'm going that fast. And then all of a sudden, you're right on the guy that just freaking. You're trying to apparently murder going you. Ni- ninety yeah. miles an hour. Yeah. That's so. I mean, back to the, what you said though. Like that's that gave that literally gave me chills up my spine that he just stopped outside the house. Probably wrote mm-hmm. down an address. You know, he wrote down that. Ad- you know, he wrote down that address, and it's just one of those things. That it it really, literally it gave me chills. I don't know how to explain. Like that is a terrifying thought. That he turned yeah. around and then stopped in front of where you parked. Yeah, you're trying to get to safety. You watch him drive past, and then he comes back and stops right in front of the driveway. And you're like, oh, God, "Fucking come on, please leave!" Leave. And then he leaves. Meanwhile, Jane got the attention of her friend who came to her aid when she collapsed on his porch. Police and paramedics were called, and. Miraculously, none of those stab wounds hit any vital organs or her seven-month-old baby, her fetus. Oh, wow. She was... That's crazy. Yeah, she was, pre- she was pregnant. Yeah. <clears throat> and then two months did later, you... she gave birth to a baby Did girl. you say that earlier? I don't remember it. Uh, yeah, yeah, in the beginning. Oh, dude, I just, that, yeah. uh, for some reason, I forgot you said that. I was just like, oh, shit, she was pregnant. That's right. Yeah, she was, she was pregnant. But 
no vital organs, didn't hit her baby, and then she gave birth two months later to a baby girl. That really is miraculous. Yeah, she was one of the lucky ones. Yep. So God wanted that baby to be born, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. But also, you got to think of the pressure that puts on the kid. Like, you survived a brutal attack, now I got to do great things. Like, thanks, Mom. Yeah. Yeah, there was some... uh, I don't think I included it, but eventually uh, her baby got um, diagnosed with cerebral palsy. So, healthy in the beginning, but... Yeah, that's unfortunate. That's super sad. Yeah. Maybe blood loss. Maybe. Yeah, there's yeah, there's probably something that. Uh, so there was a correlation between it. So had the baby, and but there was some some damage. Reper- yeah, there was yeah. some repercussions to that attack. That sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah. Now Jane met up with Philpin and agreed to undergo hypnosis. We talked about that and. Yeah, we talked God, about it several times. God, which one was that? Uh, recently, um, it might have been uh, the one you did. The yeah, yeah. Terratown, Tar- USA. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So same thing. Yeah. We're going to go through some hypnosis. And she was able to provide a graphic eyewitness account of her terrifying ordeal. From what she said during the session, it became clear to Philpin that she was not stalked. And her decision to go to the fair that night was a last-minute one. She had no sense of anyone following her, either going to the fair while she was at the fair or leaving the fair. She was able to supply very specific details of the man getting out of the car and coming up on the other side, who was the one making a remark about the the payphone. Yeah. Philpin said that the man is very deliberate, methodical, and calm. Based on Jane's description, he does not get rattled, He's very much in control of the situation and is very patient about what it is he is going to do. She recalled that he seemed so calm and cool about everything throughout the whole ordeal. She said he never got mad or showed nervousness. Everything was just as if it didn't bother him. According to Philpin, what Jane described was a tremendous struggle and a tremendous amount of resistance on her part. You know, the desire to protect her baby. But at some point during the assault, it was as though she had done everything that she could do and she simply couldn't do anymore. So she stopped struggling. And that's when the assault stopped. According to Philpin, it seemed as though the greater her resistance, the more determined the killer was. And as soon as her resistance began to wane, the attack ended. So this this has given Philpin a lot of information about this guy's profile, right? Mm-hmm. Like this yeah. this has definitely made made his assumptions of the guy way more in depth because there's a lot of information to unpack there. There's a lot going on in that sentence or what she told him anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's getting a yeah. really good like uh, psychological um, evaluation of of who the 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 can't say killer attacker was. Right. Um, but yeah. It, you know, as she stopped resisting, the attack stopped. So it shows like, okay, well, he's in, he's, this is a game to him. Yeah. Yeah. He's in it for yeah. the fight, not for the sport, not, you know. So there's, um, I, I mean, I guess I don't have enough information to talk about it too much, but there's a thing of process killers, product killers and stuff. I think this guy was a process killer. He wasn't interested in the end product. He was interested in the process of killing. Yeah. So that, that's, that's what, what like, got yeah. this guy going. Well, that's, you know, when you have killers that um, using a knife as um, the primary weapon to kill, it's a very intimate 
Yeah, it's very uh, up close uh, and personal. Yeah, method of killing versus taking a gun and shooting someone. Yeah, it's almost detached. You, you, you understand that there will be a struggle, me coming at someone with a knife. There's going to be a struggle, and I think that's the the joy that this person gets out of that that type of killing. I, yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah. Philpin next had Jane try to recall the drive to her friend's house. She remembered coming up behind another car and realizing that it was her attacker's car. He asked her to focus on the car's license plate. She said it had the numbers 662. However, the license plate was too dirty to read the rest. She was also able to describe the car as a 75 to 85 Jeep Wagoneer. It's pretty specific. That's pretty specific. I I think she's pretty confident on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And after getting the description of the attacker's car, one of the things police decided to do was see if they could identify it. And in order to do that, they enlisted the help of the state of Vermont, the state of New Hampshire, and the state of Massachusetts. And they generated a computer printout of all Jeep Wagoneers that were registered at the time in those three states that A, matched the description that Jane had given them, and also narrowed it down, uh, you know, light, they could narrow it down license plate-wise, like seeing the yeah. first, you know, oh, a 662, okay, narrow it down. They were able to narrow it down to uh, 1,350 Jeeps throughout that New England uh, area. But I mean, that's after a- all that, yeah, after all that, they, they still couldn't pinpoint one. I mean, if that's still a lot to go through, though. 1,350 mm-hmm. is a lot of vehicles to check one by one. <clears throat> yeah, and I mean, it's over matches. three, yeah, three states. Dang, that's so. That's quite the search. I mean, but according to this, they finished it and didn't get a single lead from it. Yeah, none of the those leads uh, pointed them towards a suspect. So now, once again, investigation was stalled. Um, but with one crucial difference, the, the police still do not know who the killer is. But thanks to Jane's eyewitness accounts uh, during that hypnosis, they do believe they know what he looks like and also how he thinks. Philpin, and this is when Philpin goes into the psychiatric breakdown of this killer or this attacker. Philpin believes that the killer is a loner type, a person who prefers his own thoughts and fantasies, does not like intrusion, and his voice. You got this. <clears throat> he does not like intrusion. His view of women is extremely negative to the point of hostility to the point of viewing them as arrogant, intrusive types of people. Philpin says that he can see the killer making an adjustment that one might call within the realm of the normal, but it would require, he thinks, very limited exposure to groups of people. Getting pretty specific. Yeah. Now, Jane being happy she's alive, she just wishes that her attacker could be found so that what happened to her will not happen to anyone else. And she fears that his next victim won't fare as well as she did. Yeah, a person like this seems calm, collected, in control, doesn't lash out. It seems like he's learning from this mistake. It seemed like if anything, this would this surviving story would make him more dangerous as a killer. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, he has the... Uh, propensity to kill. He hasn't killed 
yet that they know of. But yes. Oh yeah, we're still in the realm of uh, these are one-offs. She was, yeah, she was she was just a survivor of this attack. Right, not of a serial um, killer. Yeah. At the because time. yeah, because New Hampshire State Police are not yet convinced that they are indeed dealing with a serial killer when they're looking at all these uh, 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 deaths. Yeah. But however, they have seven unsolved murders, and so they need to start investigating all the possibilities. Now. The authorities, if they suspect that the murders are the work of just one man, that they may have moved to another part of the country. And perhaps because Jane survived his attack, their greatest hope is that he has been incarcerated for some other type of crime. But yet their greatest fear is that he is still on the loose, killing at random. Yep. Just like, uh, again, to bring it back to Grim Sleeper, Lonnie failed with um, the last one in 1980 eight and he stopped you know allegedly stopped for that time because he left one alive and that scared him probably that was he's he's, all right i need to chill or you know however he thought of it but seems like yeah they're probably right he probably just packed up and left said shit yeah the one that lived and so now he's because apart from that that was the last um uh victim we'll say that, that we that they know of Right. They have the seven, and then uh, Jane was the, the one that survived at the very end. The last one? Yeah. Now, her description uh, of the suspect, he stands about 5'7 to 5'8, weighs about 150 to 160, blonde hair, clean-shaven, and driving that golden brown Jeep Wagoneer with the license plate, including the number is 662. Now, he was in his mid-30s to early 40s, and Jane described him as normal-looking. So, average. Average. Doesn't stand out. You know, if I had blonde hair, that I match the description. Um, just a second here. Hey, uh, Richard, I yeah, love Jesus, the intensity, bro. pal, but uh, this is quite intense, so let's bring it down a little bit, all right? Yeah. Thanks, man. Oh, oh yeah, wait, let's, wait I, let's let him finish. Yeah, big finish. Yeah. Finish strong. Finish strong, Richard. Thank you. Well done. That was intense. Well done, I, I really like the intensity. I don't think we're quite there yet. It was no, I like I like uh, I like his creativity. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, but he's a normal dude, and that's uh, that's a big mm-hmm. problem for investigators. Uh, normal is not good. Normal is not something you want to hear of uh, a description of a dude you're looking for. They just blend in. Now, you remember uh, Linda's murder, the guy that was standing in the driveway? They had a description of that man as well. Clean-shaven white male, round face, dark-rimmed glasses, dark-trimmed hair, between 20 and 25, slightly stocking, and carrying that bright blue knapsack. But yet, they don't know if he's actually connected to the murders, or to her murder in particular. They're like, hey, there was a guy here. He looked like this. Uh, What do you want us to do with it? Yeah, he didn't have any donuts, so I don't know if he's a, he's in charge of I don't know. this year murder. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's also another thing. Like there could have just been a person standing there. Mm-hmm. They could have just been the wrong, the worst timing in the world. Still a possibility. That's still he an have sack, though. He's just, a traveler. He's a blue backpack. He's, yeah. He was a, probably a hitchhiker. He's a man about town. That's where he's he walk, kept his walking around tools. Town. Yeah. That's where he kept his donuts. His skin box. <laughs> Yummy. All right, so 
trying to find Jane Borowski's attacker. They featured, uh, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> her account of the attack on a live telecast. And they did that whole like filming the victim in a silhouette. Mm-hmm. And they didn't use her full name to, you know, for her protection. And she described the attack and her attacker in great detail. And then the TV audience was shown a composite sketch of her attacker. Now, after that broadcast, an Ohio, Idaho law enforcement officer in Idaho, Idaho. Yeah, but just for the record, this is where you'll see a the picture of the composite, if I can find it. Pretty sure I can find it. Uh, yeah, it, you, you can find it. Yeah. Okay, well, this is where you'll see a picture of the composite sketch. The composite, so, yeah. $3 a month. Just saying. Now, this... Idaho cop uh, recognized the composite as matching a man who had been held in an Idaho jail for the murder of a woman. However, it is not known if anything came from this lead. Hmm. He called the telecast at, hey, this kind of looks like this guy, but nothing uh, really came of it. Nothing really came of it. Why? Like, I don't understand how that. I don't know. Well, maybe the right people didn't see it or call in. I don't know. Many reasons. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's like, why didn't this happen? Who knows? Now, since her attack, Jane has been hospitalized for depression, suicide attempts, and other uh, mental issues. And that's kind of when they dive in. PTSD in general. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, again, they kind of dive into her daughter being diagnosed with uh, cerebral palsy. So Yeah, that's that's a rough, just one happenstance encounter, man. It just changed everything. That's... A lot of people don't think about this kind of stuff. They hear about the crime and what happened, but this it lasts forever. These things don't yeah. just stop for these people. No, there's a long-lasting, lingering uh, mental uh, damage. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's uh, done. But now let's work into some uh, suspects, Potent- potential uh, suspects. One being 56-year-old Michael Nicolau who was a Vietnam veteran and former Army helicopter pilot. In 2001, Rose Young asked private investigator Lynn Marie Carty to look into the December 1988 disappearance of her daughter, Michelle Marie Ashley. Michelle and Nicolau had two children together, and then she vanished from Holyoke, Massachusetts. Holyoke. Four months yeah. after Jane's attack, Michelle's family believed that he had killed her. And although she had plans on leaving him, Michelle, she also told Rose that if she ever went missing, Nicolau was responsible. And then shortly after her disappearance, Nicolau left the area with their children. Now, shortly after taking on the case, Cardi located Nicolau in Tampa, Florida. Initially, he said, I, I don't know, Michelle. I don't know what you're talking about. Eventually, he said that Michelle had run off with a drug dealer and abandoned the family. And he also said that the children were all right and with him. However, he reportedly told others that Michelle was dead. Dang. Four years later. What's that? This guy is just all over the place. Not a, a reliable witness. No. No. At all. He's like, oh, yeah, I don't know her. I'm like, yeah, I know her. She's dead. Fast forward four years, New Year's Eve, 2005. 
He tracked down his estranged wife, Eileen, this is previous, and been hiding from him at her sister's West Tampa home. He shot Aileen and Aileen's 20-year-old daughter, Taryn, to death. He then committed suicide. Hmm. And fortunately, his and Michelle's children uh, were not harmed. Oh, that's good. After Cardi learned about the murder-suicide, she decided to reinvestigate Michelle's case and started researching murders in the Northeast in the 1980s and soon learned about the Connecticut River Valley murders. Now, she found several coincidences between them and Nicolau. Several victims were nurses. Uh, Cardi uh, discovered that Nicolau's first wife was a nurse and his mother worked at a hospital. He had spent some time in New England since at least 1978 when Kathy was killed. She was the first victim. He was in the general vicinity at the same time as most of those murders. Michelle's family lived in Vermont in the very heart of the Connecticut River Valley, and he had driven all over the valley when visiting her relatives. The couple were fighting around the same time of Jane's attack, and he reportedly drove down the same road where she would be attacked. His residence at the time was close to Route 91, and he had visited the hospital where Barbara worked within a few months of her death and was visiting relatives nearby when she disappeared. Cardi would also examine Nicolau's psychiatric records from a stay at a Miami veterans hospital. And according to the records, he felt guilty over being involved, or he had some guilt, PTSD, over being involved in killing civilians during combat in Vietnam. No. Vietnam. <laughs> Vietnam. It is also said that he could become violent when threatened. Interestingly, Nicolau was tried along with seven other soldiers for strafing civilians. Strafing. Civilians. Yeah. Okay. However, the charges were dropped, and medical records showed that he had chronic nightmares and intrusive images about combat experiences, and he would reportedly see the faces of people he randomly killed while in a helicopter. Hmm. Several people who served with him said that he enjoyed killing, and when he was not in combat, he reportedly would go off with his knife and find other opportunities to kill people. So, wait, you're saying this dude would just go what? out? And just, he would just go off, yeah, take off with his and knife. And his friends knew this? They just were like, okay, yeah, that's cool. That's how he blows off steam. Uh, I, yeah, it's Nicolau. I think, oh, I think also that's Vietnam. I think uh, <laughs> yeah, dudes just Nam. go crazy. and. Uh, I don't think that's normal. I, well, I think you got to think of the context of just like killing brown people in that area at the time. Like probably wasn't that uncommon. Uh, like it's a sad reality, I think. But I, it's just, it is strange that they're like, he enjoyed killing and he would just go off in the night with the knife, come back. It's, it's a weird, weird thing to think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Cardi had asked New Hampshire authorities to look at Nicolau. And they later noted that he was a person of interest in the murders and planned to compare fingerprints and DNA from the crime scenes to him. In July 2006, she contacted Jane and told her about Nicolau. And after being shown several photographs of him, Jane said that she was almost certain that he was her attacker. Mm. Police indicated that he matched the physical description of her attacker. 
He also matched the description of the man seen near Linda's home. And Philpin also believed that Nicolau was connected to these murders. Wait, this was 20 years later, right? This is in uh, 2006. 2006. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, somewhere around there. So, yeah. like, 17 years after the last murder or attempted yeah. murder. Yeah. A long time has passed. And hmm. he's already dead in this situation. They're just trying to link him to the murders. I wonder if they have DNA evidence at all in any of them. Well, that's what they're saying. They're, they're saying, um, you know, DNA testing in the cases has so far been inconclusive. Uh, yeah. And they also noted that uh, Nicolau was living in Virginia at the time of Bernice, Ellen, and Eva's murders, or Ava's murders. Yeah, so that doesn't mean he can't drive. Yeah. Didn't it say uh, that he drove long distances? Um, no, he just had... The other guy uh, did. He he oh, had yeah. um, uh, like family that lived up there, so that's why he was in that area at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But also, um, Linda's son noted that Nicolau does not completely match the description of Jane's attacker or the composite. Hmm. Jane also had previously dismissed him as her attacker when initially shown uh, shown photographs of him. So they're getting so kind of like wishy-washy. Yeah, yeah, okay. So it is him, but it's not him. It, it's not him, it is him. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But they also, uh, there was a completely separate uh, case in 84. It was a rape along uh, Blue Ridge Parkway um, that... This man named Edward Honecker spent 10 years in prison for it um, before DNA tests proved his innocence. Oh, shit. That sucks. Wow. But Cardi discovered that Nicolau had once lived in the area and looked similar to Honecker. And again, however, it's not known if his DNA was ever compared in that case. Man. So they're saying Nicolau would have been the suspect in that rape. Yeah. But they didn't test his DNA for it, so... Man, that sucks for Honecker, dude. Spent how yeah. ten years? Ten, ten years, years before, prison. like, oh yeah, it turns out you're telling yeah, the truth. Yeah, it's not your job. Yeah, so, yeah, sorry about that, buddy. Sorry. We'll give you some money. I okay. doubt it. I doubt it. Probably not then. Yeah. That's yeah. I don't think they paid people. He's got, for a, that. He's got to sue. I mean, the he state. has to sue them. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I don't think he would win. That was like making a I murder. Do. Making they a murder. Uh, he got a shit ton of money because he was. No, he was in the process of getting a shit ton of money. Then he was. Then he actually committed something, some crime, didn't he? Why? Well, sure. Yes. Okay, I'm so the whole the that's the whole like that's yeah that's making. I didn't watch premise. season two. Yeah. I didn't watch I didn't, season two. Season two. Yeah, he's already in. The, he's already in prison at that point. So it's, yeah, yeah. I don't watch season two either. But watching season one, you're like, I don't know. Yeah, don't there know. is a lot of that the one. Matthew does have for a lot sure of, should get money. Oh, yeah, he was definitely coerced into that. That was definitely not a willing interview he gave. He yeah, we can do a lead. Lead. yeah, we can do a whole episode on making a murder. Yes. Thoughts on that. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we can. Now, remember earlier I mentioned that guy, Gary Westover? The, I do remember that name, yeah. The paraplegic ex-drug dealer? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he confessed in the killing of Barbara Agnew. Yeah, yeah, he's the one that was like, yeah, I would say random shit in my deathbed, too. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, they also suspected him of being the Connecticut River Valley killer because, because of the of, confession. Yeah, and they're like, okay, if he did this, and 
you probably did all these. Okay, so how are we going to say that a paraplegic did all that? I don't know. I mean, I'm not hating on don't paraplegics. Me. Like, don't um, come at me. It, I think it's uh, a paraplegic did all that. I think that's how we're going to say it. Mm-hmm. In the fall of 97, he confessed to his uncle that he was forced to participate in Barbara's murder. Westover mm. was a paraplegic and wheelchair bound. Um, but according to him, three of his friends picked him up on the day of Barbara's murder for a night of partying. Mm-hmm. They put him in his wheelchair in a van. I mean, at some point, like, if you're, you're like, I guess I'm forced to go. <laughs> yeah, at that point, yes, literally. What am I put at their whim? What am yes. I to put the brakes on? You're like, okay, I'll just lift up your wheelchair then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, in his defense, yes, that is that does sound exactly like what happened, dude. Yeah. I think no, dude, I don't want to. I don't want to go. It's like, all right, where are you going? Right. Well, Shit. sucks, suck. Get in the car. Yeah. Um, so they put him in the back. And at some point, they abducted Barbara, stabbed her, and dumped her body off a back road. And then they just took him back to his home. I mean, I guess they were right about the wild night. It's a party. They just needed an alibi, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. That's... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I believe this one. I don't know. No. Yeah, because... So Westover's uncle wrote down the names of the three men and contacted authorities. However, according to Westover's family, little was done with that information at the time. That's just... It's so annoying. Yeah. No, I, I just don't think... I think they think what I think. I'm like, no, that, that doesn't sound real. Mm-hmm. I think the police are like, nah, probably not. Yeah. That's Listen why. here, guy. It sounds like it's completely Listen fabricated. here, guy. You either give me donuts or I do nothing about this. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't work my you. time. Bye. It's really Come not. You on, see bye. here, my time is precious. I got a lot of things to solve, Okay. Okay, you're saying you in a wheelchair, uh, you uh, participated in uh, this crime here? You, a wheelchair guy, participated. Yeah. Oh, you stabbed okay. this woman? Okay, okay, fella. All right, boy. Okay. <laughs> Get back in your van. <laughs> An elevator. <laughs> Just slowly lifts up. Yeah, slowly. Go back to your room there, kid. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Now, in 98, that's when uh, Westover died. Um, and then shortly after, when Nicolau was identified as a potential suspect, one of Westover's relatives sent a letter to Barbara's sister describing his confession. She then forwarded it to Cardi. And then Cardi suspected that Westover had been used as bait. Hmm. <laughs> To get Barbara, um, <laughs> like my imagination is going wild right now. Yeah, so they were saying they used him as bait to get Barbara to pull over in the rest stop. So they're like, they just threw him out in a blizzard in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> that's what. I, that's exactly what I'm yeah. saying. Like, like hey, in my imagination, so much is going on. Yeah, like, you'll be fine. Just, we're gonna be put fine. you Set in up. the middle. Of, hey, trust me, she's not gonna run you over, but we're gonna put you there. <laughs> you'll be fine, Gary. Quit, quit your bitching, Gary. Get out there. I, I know it's cold. We'll give you a, a, a fucking blanket, okay? <laughs> Can't feel your legs anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I saw that. I'm like, oh, laughed my ass off. I'm like, okay, yeah. Use this bait. Yep. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well so, done. Yeah, used him as bait. Um, but she believes that Nicolau was one of the men named in the confession, one of the three men. Oh, really? But that was never confirmed. Oh, really? 
Yeah. Mm. So let's go to uh, 2012. Now, this case was profiled on the show Dark Minds. Uh, it was also on the um, E! True Hollywood. Uh, it was like THS Investigates or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but after it was airing, two new suspects were mentioned. One was a man named Rodney Stanger, who was convicted of killing his girlfriend, Crystal Morrison. Um, and then he was also a suspect in the disappearance and death of another woman, Molly Bish. She, her case is very famous. Molly, Molly Bish. Bish is a yeah. very famous case. Yeah. So, yeah, I think um, it, it sucks to say, but I think if anything, though, just saying Molly Bish got their story on TV. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that he was associated. Molly Bish is a, a we probably cover her at some point, um, maybe later on when everyone else is done covering her. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah, her name is huge. Like she's a big deal. And her story is, is very, it is a cold case, right? So it's, you should probably cover it. But man, that, that is a wild story. It's... Yeah. But shortly mm-hmm. before her death, um, Crystal called her sister and implied that uh, Rodney Stanger was involved in murders, including Molly's. However, when shown a picture of him, Jane uh, did not believe that he was her attacker. So that one's out the window. Yeah. Now, the other suspect was not identified on the show, um, but the son of this person, because I don't even mention him by name. Right. So I think that gonna... they can't, I don't think they legally can if he's not like officially yeah, named. It's, it's a allegedly thing. So mm-hmm. um, the son came forward uh, suspecting that his father was involved in the Connecticut River Valley murders. The suspect's wife had told her son that when she saw the composite of Jane's attacker, she believed that it was her husband. And she later told her son that one night, this suspect came home covered in blood and fearing for her life, she did not ask him what happened. Instead, she helped him burn his bloody clothing. The fuck? That's a, that's a hell of a mm-hmm. wife right there. Ride or die. Ride you or die. Literally. Oh. No, literally. No, ride. You either ride this with me or you die. That's kind of what it feels like. You ride mm-hmm. or die. Like, literally. I promise you, it will be your death before mine. You burn my clothes or you're dead. So... Not in this house. The next day, she saw on the news that a woman had been murdered within a mile of a bar that her husband had frequented. The son said that his father was a violent and dangerous man who had issues with all of the women in his life. He had rage issues and would go completely out of control. In one incident, he threw his wife out of a second-story window and held her by her hair. Oh. What? Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I, fuck. Jesus. Yeah, um, he's definitely sane, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the word for it. I mean, I may help you burn your clothes then. If you're that crazy. <laughs> like changing the tune a little bit there, woman, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just a bit. Yeah. Now that, also, he, uh, now that he's uh, not just all talk, but he's actually showing you something. Yeah. He's yeah. Actually you can throw me out, out of a window. Story I mean, window uh, the fact that he came hair. home bloody, though. The fact that he came, came home covered in blood and you're just like, yeah, I'm going to fight this man. <laughs> Clearly, you're not on the winning side here. No. She, uh, I digress. Also, yeah, I digress. I'm just going to hold you out of a second story window by your hair. <laughs> And say, I digress. I digress. <laughs> I digress. And just like a... Yeah. Just... She also told her son that her husband was a sexual deviant. Mm. I'm assuming because of the two that they assumed were uh, sexually assaulted. So. Yeah. The family lived for several years on a Massachusetts farm. 
and the suspect violently butchered. Butchered. You said it right. You got it right. Butchered. Butchered. Oh, uh, no, I guess you didn't. No, I didn't. So he probably, butchered. hold on, wait. He's probably sexually assaulted her on the reg, like for her to have said that, right? You're thinking? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's probably. a fair assumption. Yeah. 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 So uh, he violently uh, butchered pigs, chickens on the reg, and also <laughs> owned a Jeep Wagoneer. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Was it goldish, whatever? I don't know. I said Jeep Wagoneer. When shown yeah, a photograph of this, was that? Was that? Sorry, the license plate. Do we get to that? Mm, no. Oh, so probably no connection there. I don't know. I mean, if it's not mentioned, I assume that it was. There's nothing to it. Yeah, because it's still unsolved. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like this Jeep Wagoneer didn't it didn't have the plates that they're looking for. Probably. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Good talk. Thanks. Yes. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah thank you the more you know <laughs> there we go there's right now you'll see the star yeah <laughs> the more you know he's across the screen across the screen so they showed a picture of this suspect to jane and she immediately became frightened and said that the hairs on the back of her head stood up in mm-hmm. fear she was certain that he was her attacker but, however, the suspect died in 2008 without ever being investigated, and it is not known if police even consider him a suspect in the case. Dang, I don't know what the, the hell's going on here. Right? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. They, how would they not like do what they can, like exhume him if they need to, mm-hmm. like to get DNA testing going on? I don't know. I, I'm not a policeman's. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, and to this day. The Connecticut River Valley murders remain officially unsolved. And surprisingly, cold case unit officials have stated that they do not believe the cases are connected. All these seven people we just talked about. Yes. They say that um, if one of those murders were solved, it may uh, be possible to link the remaining murders to that suspect if they figure that oh, out. Oh, so this is one of those so, things where they have to cover themselves. They can't say it's connected because yeah. there's no definitive proof, but it's no, probably. Yeah. Hmm. So there's they no have a name and everything. There's just no, there's not there's an no, actual serial killer. There's no physical evidence linking all of these murders together other than, hey, a lot of them were nurses. Uh, they were stabbed uh, hitchhiking or the 50 near, mile radius. Yeah, yeah, they were near the road in the Connecticut River Valley. So that's hmm. pretty much all there. Fair enough. Going off well, of, so. of these uh, of these few suspects that we do have, which one do you think is most likely to have done it? Um, I think I was on Nicolau for a little bit. I think Nicolau, but then I, I saw the last one with the Jeep Wagoneer and the mm-hmm. uh, beating of the wife and the uh, craziness Sexual and the deviance. Yeah, I think because Nicolau, when I had looked this up, was looking probably who done it. But now, now that you mentioned this other guy, I don't. I didn't know about this other guy. So I think as soon as you said that he came home when I covered in blood, I was like, "Yeah, that's him." That reminded me of Charlie Brands because he did the same thing and he had yeah. definitely also, killed that woman. Also, the the two he killed the two women then killed himself. That other one too. That like totally was, brought me back to that story. That was Nicolau, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like that. Uh, a yeah. lot of these similarities in the last there's two cases we've done. Yeah. There's a lot. Weird. Still, I think it's this last guy. It's definitely not the paraplegic. Um, <laughs> no, no, you don't say. <laughs> no, he was just out there freezing. Yeah, freezing um, his 
took us I off. I gave him the, a blanket. In, yeah, I don't think he was that guy. No. Uh, like I said, I think he was saying shit just to say shit. Um, no, yeah. maybe he really did participate in some deviant activity, and like he just felt like On he had to get it off one his of chest. Them? Yeah. Yeah, they're saying he was just the bait. He's like, well, I didn't do it. I just happened to be there. I was just sitting in a wheelchair, minding my fucking business. Yeah. Put me in the middle, middle of the road, man. <laughs> yeah, I still think, uh, yeah. The last guy, for sure. Uh, that yeah. guy is insane. The mysterious. And, uh, yeah, the non-named suspect. Because mm-hmm. even like the. But fact I don't that... really understand how they can say he's a non-named suspect if the son is coming forward saying that his father. Okay, the son has I'm a name. Officially... And the son came forward, but why is it not known? Because the son has a name. He's able to speak for himself about his father, regardless of his father having been brought in as a suspect or not. They have names. Because you can't. I mean, you can uh, yeah. go around. Like yes, saying people done it yeah but it doesn't mean that officially they have to listen to you like list if they list your name and you're the son then they can easily connect you to the dad like there's no like there's no reason to like legally say this guy is a suspect because he's not he's technically not but there's just someone saying most legit right but the the police don't consider him a suspect he's just a dude that someone says done something that doesn't mean that he is you know that's just someone said it it doesn't mean shit I honestly like this is a lot of sloppy police work also yeah, it does feel like there's a lot of like degaff, like it, you know, whatever's donuts. Yeah, hold on, I'm trying to find the name because I can. Uh, there's another source. Uh, yeah, but I just again like the whole coming home covered in blood, and then the way he abused his family. Like I think we made a couple jokes about it, but it's not funny. You know, it's just like this is a very like he said violent and dangerous man, and he has issues with all of the women in his life. This is clearly someone that would do the things that were described in the episode absolutely i, I believe and then he had a wagoneer i i really do think it was his last unnamed I really person want the tag nicolo, the nicolo had a jeep as well did he oh it's, is that the correlation between all of them uh yeah hmm but whose license plate was 662 and i guess with nicolo the whole running off into the dark with a knife in vietnam uh yeah no I, i'm still on I'm still on team gnome name over here. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I, I tried looking for one of the sources uh, to find the name because they, they did mention it, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't know where I don't know where it went. Yeah, it's probably smart that we don't say it anyway. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, let us know which so that, one I got for you. Yeah, let us know which one of the last few people you think could have done it. Uh, was it Nicolau? Was it paraplegic man in the cold or was it this unnamed person who is incredibly violent and dangerous in general uh he butchered pigs and chickens regularly so uh this guy's just out there butchered him he butchered him him. (laughs) you want to butcher that (laughs) and on that note Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Bloodthirsty Times, TikTok at Bloodthirsty Pod, and email us with any stories or questions you have at bloodthirstypod at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, check out the, um, like we said, like I've been saying the whole episode, come oh, yeah. watch us talk about it. Yeah. And I think um, we're going to have to separate it because I can't change the price on it at all. So I think for side stories type of stuff, we're going to have to do a Patreon. If we're yeah. going to be talking about little mini episodes, we're just going to have to go on Patreon because I couldn't figure out how to change the price on Anchor. I think it's set. $3 is all it's ever going to be. Cool. So, yeah. And if you want to get technical, out. it's two ninety nine. It is two ninety nine.
and we probably get about maybe two dollars of it um but yeah that's all i got hope you uh enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next week yeah see you next week guys love you bye bye